This message first aired on the radio on August 21st, 2003. We're going to take up the scriptures for an hour here. We're going to take up dispensation of the law. And we're going to find out uh, some little bit more about its purpose. And it has a much broader purpose, which some have called the dispensation of Moses. But it's really a dispensation of law. And it goes from the time of the birth of Israel all the way up until the time of our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling that law in his suffering and death, burial and resurrection. I trust that this finds you in peace and desiring to hear truth. When we look at the scripture, that's what we'll find. We're going to look, as our point of departure, we've been taking up Acts chapter 7 and trying to summarize the dispensation of law. Of course, we take up that section because we can't we really can't do any better than the scriptures inspired accounts of the summary and we found Stephen's preaching to be that which the Holy Spirit inspired and God wrote through the emanuensis of Luke into Acts chapter 7 and we've been taking that but when it comes to the time of Moses we have not very many words given by Stephen we just have really Acts 7:38 through 42 and we want to comment a little further about that. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And as one had said, I believe it's ascribed to Augustine, but who is a 4th century writer. I, I don't know if it is. I just hear that, and I sometimes I, I don't like just passing on what I hear, but I hear it was Augustine who said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Well... The book that we call the New Testament is not in itself called the New Testament. Or it is just called the Scriptures. As the other Scriptures, the writings of the Apostle Paul were Scriptures. They're called Scriptures by the Apostle Peter. But we do have the Scriptures, the newer revelation, given to us in its completeness. And we do well to use it as the key to the rest of the Scriptures. And that's a principle of hermeneutic that you do well to take if you're trying to enjoy your Bible, which is the intention of our study. And if uh, if this study is at all helping you as we go through these eight dispensations that God has laid out, if this is helping you to enjoy your Bible and understand your little Bible, then as we go through and learn little lessons of Bible hermeneutic, maybe you want to take a note or try to remember that, one, the overreaching hermeneutic or principle of interpretation of the Bible is that the Bible interprets itself. You do not need outside sources to interpret the Bible. Sometimes outside sources, especially in the area of language, are extremely helpful. It used to be that in order to read the Bible, even to read the English Bible, you pretty much had to have a smattering of, well, more than a smattering of both Hebrew and Greek. And I don't know that Hebrew helps or not, I, but there are excellent Language helps for that purpose. Maybe the study of Hebrew does help. I've never done it. The study of Greek doesn't help much. I've done that. doesn't help much. But we do have excellent helps to, to understand the exact words of the Scripture. But that's not a principle of interpretation. Other, the principle of interpretation is that God put exact spiritual words on his spiritual thoughts. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, as First Corinthians 1 says, and as it tells us in the psalm, as silver tried seven times in a furnace, God has taken the words from the earth, that is, normal language words, and sanctified them to write his word with. And so, to understand what the word says, 
Okay, maybe you would call that a hermeneutic, but the overreaching hermeneutic is to let the Bible comment on itself. And here, when we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see the one of the better summaries of the reason that the account that was given is given in the book of Exodus, book of Numbers, Leviticus, and so forth, but especially Exodus and Numbers. And we just want to read it here. But the context of the reading, the context of 1 Corinthians 10, and this will surprise you, but the immediate context of 1 Corinthians 10 is 1 Corinthians 9. And that is this, Know ye not, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Now here the scripture is relating the Christian life to the pursuit of a prize. And if you haven't enjoyed or listened to and enjoyed the series we did on the gift and the prize, you can go to our website, www.biblestudy.net. You can find there in the archive section a brief overview of the distinction between the gift in Scripture, which is eternal life, the gift of God, and the prize of the calling on high. And hopefully you can appreciate the things that differ. What One thing that the apostle prayed for the believers he knew and that I think is still a good prayer is that he prayed in, for the Philippians that they would appreciate the things that differ, or the way it's put in the, in the King James Version, that they would approve the things that are more excellent. But what that actually means is that they would learn to be able to appreciate distinctive things, things that are, things that are different as opposed to things that are the same. So in other words, the apostle knew that Christian maturity had to do with going from a summary of Christian knowledge, basic things, such as the Trinity, for example, and move on to more mature things which required detailed knowledge. And, and, and the higher knowledge or deeper knowledge is more detailed knowledge, and that is what the apostle prayed that we would have. And one of the, one of the early on distinctions that we need to make to appreciate things that differ is to distinguish between that which is a gift from, of God and that which is the prize. And when the apostle here writes about the prize, he's talking about running to obtain, and he's talking about running and striving. And these are not things that we do to obtain the gift of God. We're going to see the gift of God in picture, hopefully, once I settle down a little bit and we get to Exodus chapter 13, we'll see how the gift of God is pictured in the Old Testament. But here we're seeing the prize of God. Run that you may obtain, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 9, and every man that strives for the mastery is moderate or temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now he's talking about athletes, and he's saying the difference between us and athletes, guys like Barry Bonds work out like maniacs all through the season, just so he can win a corruptible prize like the Triple Crown or the Hall of Fame, lead the National League in home runs again, hit more than Babe Ruth, more than Hank Aaron. Those corruptible titles that he seeks for, we seek for titles that last, incorruptible ones. After all, isn't Alex Rodriguez just going to come by and make us forget all about Barry Bonds? So, therefore, so run, verse 26, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that shadow boxes, or not as one who who does shadow fighting, but I keep my body under, bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, 
I myself should be a castaway. And boy, does that verse speak especially to preachers. Here the apostle, the prince of preachers, in so many ways, the apostle himself said, I am concerned that preaching to others, having already having actually preached to others, and maybe qualify, helping them qualify to win a prize, I myself would be a castaway. That word castaway, an unhappy translation of the simple word for being disapproved. Now we have a genuine conjunction. This is not a connective disjunction. This is a conjunction. This word here, chapter 10, verse 1, moreover, that is to say, in the same vein, or connecting this to that last most recent thought about being disapproved, let me give you an example of disapproval. Moreover, brethren, I would not you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. And I'll read on, and then we'll go back. All our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat the spirit, same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed, not that followed them, but that followed, which is followed in time, wasn't that a rock chased the children of Israel around, but after the spiritual meat came the spiritual drink, that rock that followed, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11, very important. Now all these things happened unto them, or all these things happened to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. That word example, good Bible word. Tupos, which from which we get our word type, and that's how we use it. All these things happen unto them for types, and they are written for our admonition. They are written to warn us, to warn us, upon whom the ends of the ages, literally ends of the world, ends of the ages, are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Lest he fall what? In the race lest he fall in the race, lest he be disapproved, not lest he lose eternal life. That has to do with the gift of God and not the prize of God. So we have here contextualizing for us the 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us how it is that we ought to look at, at least in part, how it is we ought to look at much of the account of the dispensation of the law, which begins with the Passover and the the birth really begins with the trouble leading to the Passover, the judgment of Pharaoh, which we hopefully we covered at least enough to introduce the subject yesterday. And we begins here with the birth of the nation and really ends with the rejection of the nation as they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me back up now and just pace us briefly and summarily through these few phrases that are given to us here in the New Testament as pertain to the dispensation of law. First it says, I would not you'd be ignorant, brethren, 
that's us, ignorant brethren, that all our fathers were under the cloud, under the cloud. Well, now, for us to really understand that, we have to understand this cloud. What's he talking about, all under the cloud? Well, he's referencing for us Exodus, the 13th chapter. Now, we left off yesterday with the children of Israel being set aside by God, being asked, he's being, they're being released by God, being led by Moses, and Moses bringing the judgments of God upon the Pharaoh who would not let the children of Israel go. And it tells us now in Exodus chapter 13, we find the actual release of the children of Israel or the discussion of the release of the children of Israel. So we'll look beginning in verse 20 as they, they've collected up the bones of Joseph. I'm just summarizing very quickly that Pharaoh finally has been judged. The Passover is has taken place, that the children of Israel came under the blood where we left them yesterday, and that that Pharaoh now is being finally dealt with, and that he has finally let the people go, and he's, his final judgment is, is, is just about upon him, and it reads this way, verse 20, And they took their journey from Sukkoth, and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And we'll look at what they do about that in just a moment. So just what is this cloud? How does it work? All our fathers were under the cloud. Now, of course, these are the. this is the New Testament where the apostle uh, refers back to the Jewish fathers that were his, according to the flesh. And it tells us the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now we're in Exodus chapter 14. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hahiroth. And they turned and encamp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall you encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, For they are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Now, in fact, the children of Israel are directed not to go by the way of the land of Canaan, of the Canaanites, but God led the people out through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And uh, then God ordered the people. He marched them out. Uh, some say he marched them out five by five. That has become uh, an unlucky number in Egypt even though it's the great number of grace in the scripture. And that makes sense that Egypt would hate grace. The world hates grace. So now God is trapping Pharaoh, and God is intentionally stopping the leaving of the people of Israel and leaving them encamped before they cross the Red Sea. And then he says, and I will harden, in verse 4 of Exodus 14, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And uh, here he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. Uh, why? He shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. 
And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Well, don't you remember? All your firstborn were killed. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots, six the number band, and all the chariots of Egypt and captains, captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea besides Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians march after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, And if this isn't them, and if this isn't us, they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we die in the wilderness. Well, this is going to characterize these people. Then Moses said to the people, and here's a wonderful statement, okay? Pay attention, Exodus 14:13. In fact, teach it to your children, to yourself and your children. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, what a wonderful statement here. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking, well, the Lord's telling them to shut up. Well, he is, but he's really saying this, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that is a gospel message. Boy, is that a wonderful gospel message. If that isn't the gospel of the grace of God for faith in Jesus Christ, stand still and see. What did the Lord say? As the, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be li lifted up. Well, when that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, the image of the serpent which became a Nehushtan, piece of brass, that one that was crafted by Moses in the wilderness. When that was lifted up, all those who were snake bit, bit by the fiery seraphs, all those who were dying, in order to live, all I had to do was look and live. And that's all you have to do to be saved. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In fact, not only is that all you have to do, to be saved. It is all you can do to be saved, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so the Lord shall fight for you, and you will hold your peace. That is to say, it is not based on the works that you have done, but is based on the works that he does. And here's a marvelous picture of the salvation of God. Just as the Passover, where they took a lamb and their blood covered them from the visitation of the death angel. When, when the death angel saw the blood, he passed over them. So here is a picture. Stand still and see your salvation, as God will do everything to defeat your enemy. The Lord said unto Moses, 
Wherefore thou criest unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. God hadn't changed his mind. God is the one delivering them. They are the ones less willing to be delivered than God is willing to deliver them. And there's a lesson there for you, my brother. God is more willing to deliver you from the evil that you have become entangled in than you are willing to be delivered. And maybe that's the problem. Well, in any case, maybe that's your problem is you don't want to be delivered. Well, if it is, don't worry. The Lord will still deliver you. So why talk to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, that is, the children of Israel. And I will give me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud of darkness to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to the children of Israel, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them upon their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them, them into the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Right before they died, they realized who was fighting them. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out that hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And as the psalmist said, The horse and the rider are cast into the sea. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore, no doubt washed up. And that's where we get our phrase, they're all washed up. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. All our fathers, as the apostle wrote, were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And so here you see, now he's giving this example, and this is the birth, this is the marvelous birth of the nation Israel. And uh, we see their problems, they bring over their their old, uh, their nature of grumbling, complaining, and ten times in the wilderness they complain against God, really, they complain against God. But I get ahead of myself a little bit. Here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, 
all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were all immersed unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And we see in the, in the cloud, we see that the Lord looked at Israel through the cloud. We see here a picture for us. They were immersed in cloud and the sea. We know that we are in one spirit, baptized into one body. We also know that there is one baptism for the believer. That's water baptism. That's the one to do. And I don't care what others tell you. That's the one to do, water baptism, after you've believed. And uh, here our fathers were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud, speaking of spirit. It wasn't the spirit, but speaks of spirit, and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual food. Now, uh, they had they had the same leader, they had Moses, they had the cloud, they had the sea, they were immersed unto Moses, that is, they were made one under Moses through this experience of cloud and sea, which was the same experience by which God destroyed their enemies. This same figure, by the way, can be applied to Noah, where in the same figure, baptism does save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Baptism is no agency to save us, but is a figure. It is a figure or a picture of what God does. Through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, he destroyed our enemies, and he saved us and made us one in Christ. What a wonderful, comprehensive picture the Scriptures really are. And uh, would that... Would that God gives us all the ability to appreciate these things and to draw them out of the Scripture for our enjoyment, for our encouragement, and even to build up our faith. Now, after all, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Now, they all also had the same spiritual food. That's what it says. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food food. Now we jump ahead to Exodus 16, and if you think I'm going through the book of Exodus, I'm not. Uh, I'm just touching on a few things. We skip ahead to Exodus chapter 16, where we see that God feeds his people. So God has taken his army out. By the way, he took them out in array. He took them out, we might put it this way, he took them out in military array. He took them out of Egypt in military array, because God has a war. God has a purpose for his people. He didn't take them out into the wilderness for no reason. He took them out in the wilderness to serve himself. And he didn't take them out in the wilderness to hang around in the wilderness. He took them out through the wilderness because, for one, he's going to take them to Sinai and give them the law. And then, two, he's going to take them in to utterly destroy the Amorites, that is, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all those ites. He's, he's going to take out the ites because their iniquity is full. But before he does that, he's making them one, and part of making them one is to give them the same spiritual food. Let me say that Christians are also one because we have one Lord, one faith, one faith. Well, what is that one faith? Well, it's not signs, wonders, and miracles. That's not our one faith. That's sight. It is not uh, books besides the Scripture. It is the Scriptures. That's our one faith. That is our one body of faith, which we are to hold together. And uh, we also have one hope of our calling, not two, not three, not six, 
we have one hope of our calling, and we need to agree on what that is, and we need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit by agreeing on that. But I, I digress a bit. We want to go now into Exodus 16. We've skipped one of the songs of Moses. Of course, no, no sooner, uh, no sooner did uh, the Lord uh, destroy all the enemies of Israel than uh, the people began to murmur. They came to Merah. It says, so Moses, verse 22 of Exodus 15, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out of the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, later named Merah, called the place of bitterness, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter, therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now this is their first murmuring having left Egypt. They were they were murmuring on the other side. They murmured in Egypt a few times. But here's their first murmuring. There's going to be ten testings, the children of Israel, of really against God in the wilderness, the number of completeness. And yet... Uh, now they murmur because they have no water, and uh, they're complaining about it. Now we look at Exodus 16, and uh, we see from the beginning, And they took their journey from Elim. All the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, I failed to tell you that what God did was he he miraculously showed them a tree when they were there in Merah, and that was uh, that tree was thrown into the water, and it, w- it made the water sweet. So they gave them water. Water there, God gave them water there in Merah, satisfied their needs. He's overthrown all their enemies. Uh, they move on a ways. They get hungry, and immediately they assume God will not feed them either, and they murmured against Moses. And let me tell you, friends, when you murmur against man. There are times that that is really murmuring against God. God is the one who fed the children of of Israel bread in the wilderness. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ told them, Moses didn't give you bread in the wilderness. Uh, My father gave you bread in the wilderness. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. Well, here they're complaining and they're moaning and they're lying, by the way. They're saying, oh, we wish we sat by the flesh pots where we could eat all the bread we wanted in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They didn't sit around by the flesh pots and eat everything they felt like. Uh, They got however much bread uh, they could find for themselves. Uh, They were slaves there. and Of course, they're lying about their past like so many of us do. We'll come back in a minute. One of the things a Christian has to do is be careful of his associations. Tells us to associate with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So uh, be careful out there, as they say in the police station. Now, they're mumbling, they're murmuring, they're complaining. God's trying to starve us out. That's what you think all the time. They're just like us. Then the Lord said unto Moses, but however, this behavior, though it's just like us, 
uh, it's, it's not tolerable, it disqualifies us from the prize of God. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Understand now, this is before he has given them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. This is just one law he's going to give them. This is the first law he gives, and that is six days work on the seventh day. Don't take any manna. And we learn a little something here. And it come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, That even then you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be, when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord hears your murmurings, which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, saying, Send all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At evening you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And when we talk about the manna in the wilderness, we forget the quails in the wilderness. You know, God gave them meat at night, and he gave them manna in the morning. What a provision. And quail's good eating once you get the buckshot. The problem with quails, it's so small that you have to work so hard to get the buckshot out of it. There's not much left. I've never shot a quail, never got close enough to, but did get to eat some. And just the problem is it's a little, but it's good food. Came to pass that at evening the quails came up, covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as hoarfrost on the ground. Little round flaky thing. There's the dew. When the dew melted, when the sun comes up, and the dew is dissipated, then there's a little flaky thing on the ground, small as hoarfrost. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, What is it? Or, as the Bible says, manna, for they do not know what it is. So they didn't know what it was, so they go, What's this? And that's what they called it from then on. What's this? And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Interesting. What's this? What is this stuff? Well, that's what we'll have to call it. We don't understand it. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Gather it of every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Plenty for every man. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. The children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it out with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and they that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating, so just enough to eat for today. Let me say something about church life. I'm just going to throw this in. You know, one of the things that destroys church life is a pile of money left over. It's a pile of money left over. This is something churches do. They pile up money. 
And then once there's a pile of money, and this is true of anywhere, once you have a pile of money, then your thoughts go to the pile of money. You think, what am I going to do with this little pile of money? Well, I'll pile it up and get bigger. Pretty soon you're preoccupied with your pile of money. Don't kid me. What is it that working men do today? Well, they work for necessary purposes. They enjoy their families. And then they get into a state of middle life where they go, I need a big pile of money. I need a pile. I need to pile this up for tomorrow. For tomorrow. I've got to worry about tomorrow. Today doesn't have enough evil for me. I know the Bible says sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. But me, I got evil coming down the road, and I need to pile up. What I need, I need to pile up money. That's what I'll. I will trust money. And so when a church gets a pile of money, that pretty much ruins a church. If you're a leader in your church, you haven't been listening to this show, don't let your church pile up money. God doesn't call for that. There's no reason for that. If God trusts you with some money and you want to pile it up, God told you to pile it up, you pile it up. But churches ought not pile up money. They ought to use it if it comes in. Anyway, here we have these guys start piling up, notwithstanding... Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. And that's what happens. You start getting piles of stuff, pretty soon it stinks. Breeds worms. That's one of the problems we have in America today. We pile up so much stuff. We start out, let's just say, with a nice house like my parents had, a 1,100-square-foot house, and then we need a 2,000-square-foot house or a 5,000, so we can fill it up with stuff that breeds worms. Start out having a TV and a radio, you end up with 35 TVs and 86 radios, stereos, speakers everywhere, breeding worms. As it gathered every morning, verse 21, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass on the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and see that you will sieve, and that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till morning, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither were there any worms therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. Now that's the way we are. And that's the work of the law. No sooner are we told, Don't do this, and then we do that, and then... Moses gets angry, as these people show that even without the law, which they're going to get pretty soon, they're still sinners. But I digress. They ate of the same spiritual meat, the same spiritual food. This is their spiritual food, quail at night. And by the way, they're not content with the quail at night either. It's going to happen that they are sick of eating manna in the morning. They don't want to wait. They want quail morning, noon, and night. And God gives them quail, so much quail that it comes out of their noses. Be careful what you ask for. God might give it to you. In their lusts, they got way too much of everything. 
that they asked for, which is what we have, way too much everything. So here these people are given this wonderful food. And this food elsewhere, it tells us that this food, if we read down in verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day, and verse 31, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna of the food, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, in my opinion, wafers made with honey, the closest thing I can think of to wafers made with honey are those little uh, uh, are those little uh, crackers with cream filling in them? Those little cookies, sugar wafers, those little sugar wafers. You know, you bet you can't eat one. I know that's I'm, I know I'm mixing metaphors, but those little you know pink and chocolate and white. That manna tasted sweet, probably not that sweet, probably not that much sugar, but it was sweet. Tasted like a, a honey wafer, light, not too filling, uh, nutritious. All they all had all the vitamins they needed was everything they needed, and they got sick of it. And elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us that these people take this stuff now, and they beat it, and they bake it, and they twist it around, and then it tastes like fresh oil. Yuck. I mean, when was the last time you said, honey, wow, it's hot today, I'm hungry, I need to be refreshed, go get me a nice, warm, room-temperature glass of Mazzola oil. Give me a, just give me a little cup full of oil. Put a little ice in there, drink down some oil. When do you do that? That They turned something that tasted excellent into something wretched and horrible that they didn't like. And do you know what, friends? That's what people have done to the Bible. You see, they had the spiritual food of manna. We have the scriptures. One of the reasons why we like to have this program, and at least that we're trying, I mean, whether we succeed or not, I don't know. If I succeed, you, you won't tell me anything. Uh, we've got a website for you to tell me if you like what I have to say, if you don't. But, in fact, I don't care. I guess I don't care that much anyhow. But at least our attempt with the with the radio program is that the Bible would be able to be read just like it is, fresh as it is written by God without dis- distorting it, without baking it, without beating it, without making it taste like fresh oil. One, one of the things people hate, they hate sitting down and studying the Bible, or let me put it this way, they hate going to Bible studies. What's the first thing that happens when you go to a Bible study? Somebody hands you a booklet written by some guy, and then you follow the booklet. Then you follow the booklet instead of just reading the Bible. So if you can enjoy the Bible, this is the bread that God has given us. They all ate the same spiritual food, and we all eat the same spiritual food. Now, the other thing it tells us is in 1 Corinthians, clear back up to 1 Corinthians 10, and they did eat the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed. Now I'm going to skip past all the giving of the law. I'm going to skip past all kinds of murmuring and complaining by the children of Israel, and I'm going to go all the way to Numbers chapter 20. Now, if you want to get a sense of all that complaining and you want to read the law there, it's certainly valuable. You know, here we've skipped the giving of the law, which is one of the most important events that happens in this dispensation at Mount Sinai. And i just tell you the name Sinai means bush, so it is the place where the burning bush was. We're going to skip that so that we can follow here what 1 Corinthians is teaching us. 
they all drank of the same spiritual drink and because they, they drank of the spiritual rock that followed the manna. Well, it followed by some considerable time, at least time in terms of uh, days and time in terms, it followed by some several days, and it also follows by several chapters of Scripture. We jump ahead to Numbers chapter 20, and we read this. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. So here they are. This is the second time in Kadesh. We're going to go back tomorrow, and we're going to pick up the first time they went to Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, and we're going to see some really why it is that they're consigned to 40 years in the wilderness. It was only an 11-day's journey across the wilderness from the land of Egypt to the Promised Land. should only taken them 11 days. But they came to Kadesh Barnea, and we're going to look at that as the New Testament teaches about Kadesh Barnea. We're going to look at that tomorrow. Today we want to look at they all drank from the same of the same spiritual drink from the rock that followed the manna by quite some time. Then the children of Israel came to the, the children of Israel and the whole congregation, People abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So that's a little bit less trouble. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now they're hearkening back to the time of the death of Korah, very possibly. And... Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle, and of course now they're concerned mostly, additionally, not just about themselves, but their cattle, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vine or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. Well, of course, here they are at Kadesh Barnea, and they refused to go into the land where all these things were the last time they were here. They wouldn't believe God. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But now, here you go, this doesn't have any good thing, neither is there any water. Now, these are people who had already complained about water. God has been taking care of them with water all along, but they're just in the habit of grumbling. And that's people in the habit of grumbling, complaining about everything. Moses, But let me tell you, even though it's common, it's disqualifying. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell upon the face, their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And here's where Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock and disqualifies himself from entering into the land. But let me tell you something. God was not pleased with these people because they did not proceed through the wilderness in faith. And so just as the picture of Egypt is and the Passover and the crossing over of the Red Sea is a picture of our salvation, so the picture of the wilderness is a picture of the life waiting to enter into the promised land, which we're doing. And if you murmur and complain, you can get disqualified in the wilderness, and you'll never enter in. Let that be a lesson to you until tomorrow when we talk about Kadesh Barnea. God bless you.